Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. As you know, we are over halfway through our special series called Ennea Summer 2020. The Enneagram is a tool we love around here to help us know ourselves better and love our people better. It's just a tool, one of many, that can help with personal growth, but one that we really love and find interesting and helpful here at That Sounds Fun. If you're just jumping in today, we have already got, like I said, over half of the shows are already done for this year, which is so sad. Eights, nines, ones, twos, and threes. You can go listen to all of those wherever you are listening to this podcast. They are there ready to go for you. But today on the show is our Enneagram Fours. The music in the background is from our good buddy, Ryan O'Neill, better known as Sleeping at Last. He's created a song and actually a podcast episode on his podcast for each Enneagram type. What you're hearing now in the background is the Enneagram 4 song. So make sure you head to Spotify or Apple Music and listen to the whole thing. Read the lyrics, all of it. It will really add to your experience and I think really deepen your knowledge of Enneagram 4s. This year, our Enneagram 4s are my friends Stu and another Annie. Yes, we had another Annie last year too. It'll be my goal to have an extra Annie every year. Don't worry. I could listen to 4s talk all day long. I just love how Annie and Stu process and and their hearts and the deep thoughts that live in them. I think you're going to love this episode. Remember, we do have an Enneagram 4 episode from Ennea Summer 2019 with my friends Matt and Marissa, if you want to go back and hear that as well. But before we meet and get to know Annie and Stu, our buddy Seth Abram, you know him, Enneagram expert and host of the Fathoms podcast, is going to give us a quick overview of what we should know about fours. All right, Seth, we are back today talking about Enneagram fours, our snowflakes. No one is like them. No one is like them. Tell me. That's what they want to hear, too. That's right. (laughs) Give me kind of a flyover. Tell me some things we need to know about fours. Yeah. Fours are some of my favorite people. Same. Yeah. So, yeah. So, any type four is the point in the Enneagram that represents the heart's capacity for depth and beauty and creativity and originality. Uh, so people who leave with type four, you know, they really show us what it's like to experience uh, the depth of identity. Yeah. To know that who we truly are is original and so beautiful and actually even mysterious. And because of that, who we are is actually sort of infinitely knowable. There's depth wow. of identity. Yeah. yeah. So they invite us into the depths of ourselves. They can they invite us to be intimate with with our internal landscape and internal world. Yeah, and they they they're really about authenticity and genuineness, and they're sensitive and emotionally honest for sure. You know, but I also I think I don't know if I've ever met a four who isn't highly creative. Yes, there's lots of reasons for that, but they're super. They're usually very very creative. But yeah, so the issue comes though for fours when they start to feel like they're losing contact with this innate gift of of depth and identity, and so they begin to believe this conditioned story of I'm missing something that everybody seems to have. You know, yeah. what's wrong with me? Uh, and they so they have to manufacture this deep identity, mm-hmm. this creative and uh, unique identity, and so. This often looks like, um, it's sometimes it's actually called uh, fantasizing, but this is really using your imagination to hold on to intense feelings. Yeah. And so they can cling actually to a mood and replay that mood over and over. And so fours in this space are often deeply nostalgic because oh, wow. that's, that's so, you know, all the good all the good things I want to remember, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, fours are kind of, they show us this, uh, this external version of suffering from not knowing who you are. Yeah. And so... It's, it, it shows itself as this consistent longing 
Yeah, oh, bless them. Yeah, and so, so fours are ultimately motivated by this need to, to feel unique and special, and they work really hard not to be plain or, or mundane or common. Yeah. yeah. Why do we need them in our lives? Why should we have fours as friends or partners? Yeah, again, I, th- I, um, I say this, like they help us ex- access our internal depths. Yeah. Kind of like art, you know, can touch you deeply without you realizing you, you – uh, you weren't even in that space. Like you listen to classical music, you know, it just, you just feel that, that, yeah. that deepness all of a sudden. They, I think like art does, they can help open you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're maybe even more right brain oriented. And so it can be tricky to, they don't want to articulate everything because you can't say what a picture can say. Yeah, right? that's right. Um, yeah. So they help access our internal depths, but they also really value and uh, dignify our emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's such a, a massive thing for fours. But they also, this is a huge one, they help you sit in darker feelings. Because yeah. uh, I love this. I had to share this. Our mutual friend, Creek, yes. says, he says that darkness feels like a warm blanket. I, he's my favorite four. He is, that's going to hurt every other four's feelings. <laughs> but, but he was the first friend that I like sat with. Yeah. That's a four. And I was like, oh, yeah. this and that is guy, what it feels like. That guy can articulate the fourness yes. better than most people I've Beautifully, met. Beautifully, so, yeah. yeah. What, sh- what Why do we need fours in the bigger world? I think sensitivity. Mm-hmm. I think we're so insensitive. I think we learn to to lose touch with our sensitivity yeah. uh, at an early age. But fours are fours. That's all. All of them are super sensitive, which yeah. is beautiful and yeah. so needed. Their their feeling based intuition helps us in tune to the environment, mm-hmm. our environment. You know, mm-hmm. um, and really this ability to to recognize what's missing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it comes from a sad place, but also a beautiful place. Also, this ability to suffer. I think we all need to do a little bit more deeply, suffer a little bit more deeply. Because yeah. they show us that. No, the thank you. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, they, they, that's the thing is they have the courage to feel hard emotions and, yeah. and, and scary emotions and, and dark emotions. Yeah. So they, they also invite us again into the darkness. They show us how to traverse that place and to navigate difficulty and pain because mm-hmm. that's the world they live in, right? So they teach us that you can't have light without dark as well. Right. And there are only things you can learn in the darkness, right? Yeah. yeah. So what should we listen for in this conversation with Stu and Annie? I really think probably some expressiveness of feelings. You might hear in their in their verbal content more emotion. Um, even some emotional intensity. Yeah, I think their language can often be pretty unique. That you, fi- yeah. you with fours and fives, you, you tend to even hear words you maybe haven't heard before. Uh huh. But they they can be flowery in their language as well. Yeah. Um, yeah this orientation towards beauty, maybe p- potentially some inferiority in their language, mm. some less than quality. You know, they probably verbalize what's missing, and lamenting with sad stories yeah. sometimes is a thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, potentially you might even hear some withholding actually yeah. of, of, of expression because they can sort of believe that, well, you know, we wouldn't really want to go there anyway. Yeah. You know, this yeah. assumption of like, that's the deep, deep it's place. Too deep. Yeah. 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 Okay. How can we keep up with you? Uh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram at uh, integrated Enneagram or uh, fathoms.enneagram. So here is a really great conversation. Our only conversation that was not in person, which just how the fours like it, they're different than everybody else. Our only conversation that was not in person with our Enneagram fours, Stu and Annie. Stu, I cannot. Your kind of fire though. Your studio kind of fire. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I wish next time you'll have to come here. Yeah. There's a fun like mural on that wall. 
Right. Um, I know. Man, next I time you'll be up here. Day. Well, it's I mean, yeah. it's COVID days, so we're being cautious, yeah. which I respect. And and it's uh and it's increasing like crazy right now. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. Annie and I, I were just talking about flying. You, yeah. you literally confused W E B Du Bois. Oh, is that who's on your shirt <laughs> with Dolly Parton? Wait, can we talk about how you don't know who Dolly Parton is at all? Yeah, I don't know who that is. Who in the world is Dolly Parton? Oh, Steve. she's she's like a seventy-five-year-old country music legend. Yes. Oh wow, she's a very. Okay. She's got the hair and she's got yeah, the. She rhinestones. does. She's like a gypsy. Yes. Yeah. She, has gypsy she has an yeah. amusement park called Dollywood. Really? Where's that located? Gatlinburg. <laughs> Stu, she wrote "I Will Always Love You" by Whitney Houston. And yeah, right. a, no, she did. She did. Hundred oh, percent. She wrote that. Wow, that's fire. That's lit. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> oh my goodness, Dolly Parton. Lord Dolly Harris. Parton. Here's what, Jeez, Stu. Yes. Here's the rest of our friendship. Wow. You're gonna continue to teach me in the ways of racial reconciliation and growth <laughs> in that area, and I am going to teach you about Dolly Parton. And, country music. And Nashville. country music. Reba. Uh-huh. Oh, Reba. Do you know who Reba McIntyre is? No. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> this is bad. Reba? Yeah. Do I even look like I would know even a Reba <laughs> is actually a name? <laughs> like, like. That's a good point. Reba? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I thought that was like a brand for something. No, that is her name, Reba McIntyre. Oh wow, I'm sure oh. she's great though. Country, country music is kind of fire. You know, country, you know, blues and and you know, in some sense, country came out of you know the black blues tradition. Yes, of the early 20s, uh, and country music in some sense found its kind of you know its kind of origins out of black music. Yeah. Uh, of. of of jazz and bluegrass and whatnot, and so I actually like country music musically. So I'm a drummer. Yeah. And I love country music musically because a lot of when I listen to like music for music sake, I listen, you know, as a musician and I love how people are thinking about songs. So I, I so people listen to a song and I say, OK, I think as a drummer and I say, OK, how is this drummer thinking? How are they progressing through the song? And uh-huh. so country music is kind of fire is in a sense of country music is musically dope. Yeah. Yeah, it's musically dope uh, or whatnot. So, yeah, country is kind of fire. You just have to teach me the names of the Yeah, yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you. (laughs) I will not put it in public that that you don't know, that you didn't distinguish between the boys and Dolly Parton. I don't know why. Annie, do you see his shirt too? I don't know why. To be fair, he's kind of covered up. There's maybe like some leopard print that could be misconstrued as blonde wig. I don't know. Annie, 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 both of us. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh y'all. Okay, do you know what's great about no, it's this? It's all good, though. It's all, it's all good. Yeah, it's, all it's good. great. We're going, by the way. I've hit record, so don't say anything no, you don't want it. it's all good. the world okay, to know. Okay, I won't. I promise I won't. I was going to tell you a story, funny story about me and Fleming Rutgers, but you recorded, so. Yeah, sorry. We'll save that one for another time. Yeah, one day, another day. Pretty funny. Uh, the thing I love about you two being Enneagram Fours is this is the only podcast that's not in the studio. So y'all are going to be different than every other podcast. So special, so unique. <laughs> that is, and that's like hot. That's that's like like a one for us. Like that's important. You yeah, know? I know. right. 
Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, to be okay. unique. Yeah, that's right. So I want y'all to, I'm going to get y'all to introduce yourselves a little bit. Tell us, we're just going to okay. do first names. Tell me what you do for work and tell me your marital status, kids, all that stuff. So that people listening, other fours listening or everyone listening can kind of put you in as many boxes as possible. <laughs> so Annie, you go first. Tell us about yourself. Okay. My name is Annie, as well as your name mm-hmm. being Annie. Did you say age? No. Did you say age? You can't. Okay. No. You don't have to. <laughs> I, live, I live here in Nashville. Annie and I are friends in real life. Yeah. I live in East Nashville. I have a dog named Foxy Brains. I work for corporate America for a big food company, uh, but work remotely from home all the time. So um, have you know continued to stay home through coronavirus and yeah. all of that. And no kids, no husband, lots of friends, lots of hobbies. Yeah. You have a great community. Stu, do you work from home all the time too? No, I actually don't. Uh, actually, I, um, so it's interesting. So with full-time, being in ministry, like I, I go to the office and I get office work done. And we, of course, we we're, we have, you know, meetings and whatnot, but it, it's kind of hybrid in a sense where I'm I'm home most of the day with my son. So like right now, like, my wife, she's at work and, you know, I'll wake. I mean, he'll get up like, I mean, bro, this week has been crazy. This dude been getting up at like 630, 645. Uh-uh. And so that's been kind of How old is he? Three? Nah, he's actually almost two. Next month, he will he's be He's so two big. Right? Everybody think he's like three years old, but he's yeah. actually two. Uh, okay. Not to be about to be two. So I I, I commute. Uh, I'm kind of hybrid where, you know, I'll do a lot of stuff here, but I'll go, like I'm going into the office to record videos. So I do videos and things and content stuff at the church. So we'll, we'll record today. And, you know, I do the intro and the outro of service. So we'll record that on Tuesdays and I do run the live stream for church. So I'll be there on Sunday and I'll run like the, the comment section in the live stream. It's really cool to engage with people. Yeah. So I'm kind of most my mornings. I'm at the house. I'm at the crib uh, being, being daddy Dante. Yeah. Uh, and then from once, once my wife get home, then, you know, I kind of like go into the office and get stuff done. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Annie, tell me how you knew you were a four. Oh, gosh. Well, ever since I was a little girl, I just remember always feeling um, very different than everyone else. Like, mm-hmm. I always felt like the exception to the rule, sometimes in sometimes in good ways and sometimes in really hard ways and I've had, like, a lot of strong emotions. And at the core of it all, there was always this underlying sense of, like, dissatisfaction, <laughs> feeling mm-hmm. that something was, like, missing. So when I first started reading about the Enneagram, I didn't take a test or anything. I just kind of read through all the types. And when I hit the four, it was just like, oh, that's it. Like, and it was really, really validating to hear some of these feelings articulated. Um, like, like, oh, I thought this was just me, but it turns out ah. like there's this whole group of people that feels this, this same way that maybe I'm not like broken or deficient. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was so helpful to be given words to kind of help frame and um, express some feelings that it felt like people in my life maybe had trouble understanding up until that point. So yeah, it was really just through reading and learning about the Enneagram. The, the four was just really clear from the beginning. Wow. I mean, that I, I don't know that anyone has said yet that it gave them, it, it just like instilled hope that you weren't broken. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that yeah. is, that's pro, that's, Profound. Good start. Profound at the start. Dolly Parton and a little <laughs> profound size. Right. Right. Stu, what about you? How did you know? Yeah, I, I think, you know, 
the Enneagram, so <laughs> preface this. Yeah. The Enneagram, you know, like for me, it's, it, it, it was very late because, you know, it, I mean, black church space, you ain't hearing about no Enneagram. Yeah, that's now. what I was going to ask you. Is I that mean, a thing that y'all yeah, are talking I about mean, in your church? I mean, no, no, no not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of, you know, and uh, um, I think it's more kind of a white evangelical thing for mm. leadership to kind of assess and address, you know, as, at least in the church space. Yeah. Uh, from my experience. So I didn't I didn't know which number, you know, I was until about maybe two years ago. I uh, read uh, Ian Crone's book, I think. Yeah, The Road, uh, the Road Back, Back to, to you. you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was reading that book and, you know, what made I you already pick it had up? Book, like, I think one of my friends, Sarah Sutherland, she gave it to me. Okay. I'm almost positive Sarah gave it to me because she was reading it and she was like, yo, this book is like really good. And so I was like, okay, I bet. So I um, picked the book up and started reading. Then I got to that part about, yeah, the messages at the end of that joint. And that joint had me in tears because I was really? like, dang, man, that joint, this dude like legit, like read my life. Like, <laughs> it, it was, it was crazy. But in some sense, like Annie, you know, I think like, like you, I, I, I instinctively knew as a young kid, you know, there was a particular like uniqueness about me that, that, that was just different, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, even before the Enneagram, it's like, you know, many people, I heard people say, you know, that if you want to learn who you become or understand who you are today, then go back to your childhood with a seasonal right. planet. And so even as I think about my childhood and even church and even sports, there was always this idea of like, yo, you are unique, you are different. But oftentimes, like with the Enneagram, uh, with, the, with the number, it's like, you know, it's kind of counterbalanced with this kind of inferiority complex or deep, deeply seated insecurity mm-hmm. where in some sense you judge yourself by the worst, by the worst in yourself, but in, but, but by the best in other people. And so mm-hmm. wow. it, it, for me, that was always a challenge. And even today, like, like there's a challenge for me right now. Like, I know we kind of, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but no, That's no. even, you know, it's a sense, you know, a challenge for me right now, this kind of, you know, struggle uh, within myself of, you know, hey, you are unique uh, and, and gifted, but oftentimes, you know, you will struggle with, you know, the need to perform, to prove, mm. you know, who you are, mm-hmm. that, you're wow. worthy, that you're worthy of love, that, you know, somebody actually sees that you matter, uh, mm-hmm. and that, you know, what you have is enough and valuable uh, uh, or whatnot. So yeah, I say, you know, two years ago was when I read the book and kind of got introduced to the Enneagram and, you know, I read Richard War book after that. And uh, there was another book, Sacred Enneagram, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that. There was another book, uh, that other book that, you know, I was very intrigued by Ian Crone's book. And yeah. so, yeah, I realized I was four. And I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite revealing actually. Both so. of you read a lot right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yes. Stu's sending me pages of books he reads, and it's a different book almost every day. <laughs> I mean, how, so, I mean, it, it, that feels like maybe not a uniquely for thing, because everybody should know how to read, but it just feels like maybe y'all, what I know from both of you in real life is you both really choose reading as a form of what entertainment or release or knowledge or why reading over watching documentaries all the time or over spending all your time on the internet? What, what is it about books to both of you? Well, I also spend all my time on the internet. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. I do think that there's something about fours being able to hold 
conflicting ideas in tension with each other, you know? And I think that that's what maybe reading has been for me is I like to read really widely. I like to think about a lot of different perspectives and ideas and experiences and knowing like knowing that those things are not, they don't discount each other. You know, even things that are in tension with one another, that reading has been a really good source for me to, to like absorb a lot of different ideas from different angles. And, and then just, you know, sit in the nuance and the tension. Does that feel true to you too, Stu? Yeah. I would say in some sense, yeah. For me, re- like, you know, as I think about, you know, being a four, you know, I think in some sense, you know, the, the whole idea of healthy self-image reading in some sense becomes a coping mechanism for, for, for us many times. We don't, we don't want to feel like, you know, we are, you know, wrong about something or, you know, the the deep insecurity of, okay, if they win this argument, if they win this debate, if they seem like they're better than me, then in some sense, how, how am I going to feel about myself? So in some sense, reading becomes that coping mechanism of, you know, the limitations that I have in myself. I want to read in some sense to compensate for the part of me that I feel like I don't have. And I don't want to use coping mechanism as a bad thing. I see that as a virtue where the coping mechanism, it in some sense gives me the missing pieces of myself that I'm trying to figure out. And so, you know, particularly for me being black in this country, you know, and granted, I'm gonna talk about race all the time just because my writing and research deals with that. And I feel like it's very, you know, me, many people may say it's a construct. I get it, but you know, it's a defining reality, especially in our country and the way, you know, how we think about identity, how we think about image, how society, you know, kind of moves us about. Mm -hmm. And so even when I think about, you know, being black as a black four in this country, you know, this country has in some sense beat the dignity out of black people. Mm -hmm. And so education becomes a way of restoring dignity and virtue and value. And so reading becomes a weapon of resistance and a work of love that is profoundly spiritual in a society that assaults one's sense of personhood. And so for me, reading for me becomes a way to manage the core fear of the four or Mm -hmm. the self-image or a motivation. You know, we are incredibly imaginative people. I would imagine, Andy, you are like... I was going to say hella, but I don't think I can say that. You can't. You Um, can say it. We'll be all right. Okay, okay, perfect. I was on the podcast and I actually had to catch myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we laugh so bad. Yeah. That's probably as far as you want to go down that train, but hella is fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I would think that, Annie, me and you and other fours are hella imaginative. So. We would be those children who possibly as young kids, you know, would look up in the sky and dream of the great beyond. We would, mm-hmm. you know, be lost in, you know, imagination and kind of constructing the world in our own minds. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, you know, in some sense, you know, that was opposite to oftentimes the world we felt we were experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, fours are deeply concerned with making the world more beautiful. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, for me, you know, being a black four and re- and inter- intersecting that with reading, uh, you know, for me, reading becomes, 
you know, a great spiritual virtue or moral obligation and a political practice uh, that becomes a weapon wow. of resistance and a work of love in an unloving world. As my mom would say, you know, as a young kid, she would always tell me that she said, if you're going to have anything to say, make sure you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so if you kind of interject that with the sense of, you know, I don't want to seem less than or fail, uh, then reading, yes, becomes a coping mechanism, but it also becomes a weapon as well uh, of love and virtue and value. Yeah. And so I guess that's why I read. Maybe I think so. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you you had an answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful, Stu. I really love um, your use of the word imaginative. I feel like sometimes um, reading about fours or, or people use the word like fantasy. You know, like like mm. fours lean into fantasy a lot, and I feel like mm. there can be a negative connotation with that of like, oh, I'm living in this made up fantasy mm. world that will never come mm. to pass. But to to frame it in terms of imagination puts flesh on the bones. You know, it's, it's not just like a heady woo woo thing, but it's like, no, I can imagine a different world or a better world Mm -hmm. or a more optimized Mm -hmm. society or, or whatever, or, you know, even within our own selves, you know, that there can be growth and change and forward movement as opposed Mm -hmm. to just this far out fantasy idea. So I love the word Mm -hmm. imagination. Yeah. So how do, I'm, I'm so interested, Annie. Um, I, I love how you're working this out. So how do you see like, you know, the, the use of fantasy as a virtue for us mm. instead of a vice? Yeah. So yeah. Interested. Yeah. Because I can so easily lean into it as a vice as well. Right. Like yeah. where I'll go on walks and I'll be like, OK, what if someone just gave you today out of the blue a hundred thousand dollars how would you spend it and then i go into this <laughs> like, that is like my fantasy like vice you know at play <laughs> but i i think that there's this there's this strong sense in me where i really i'm able to envision everything optimized like at its full potential like oh mm. this would just work mm. so well if mm. i mean i I have like these, I'm looking around my house right now and they're just kind of like everyday examples that mean nothing for like society at large. But I'm like, oh, this, like what that room really needs is like a plant in the corner. And and just by putting a plant in the corner, it's going to be, it's going to be so much better. That's going to, that's, it's it's not going to change the world, but it's going to, it's going to change my little world and it's going to change that room and it's going to make that room right. And I think that if you, if you start to expand that out, kind of on, you know, a relational scale, a community scale, a global scale, it's small everyday actions Mm. that lead to something better coming to pass. And I think that the challenge for me is to not get stuck in my head about it of like, yeah, having a fantasy of what something could be, but like really going toward that one, that toward one, which is what we go go toward in health, Mm. which is actionable steps to bring things to pass. So- What's your answer to that, Stu? How do do you treat fantasy or imagination as virtue and not vice? Yeah, yeah. I I, kind of lean on Toni Morrison, who, who, you know, who's a, I mean, brilliant black writer, uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, She just passed not too long ago. Yeah. And she, I actually was reading a lecture by her. It's called the Tanner Lecture Series. It's like one of the top, like, lectures on the humanities. And, you know, she she has this this beautiful lecture called the site of memory 
Mm-hmm. And she had a line in there that just like, oh man, it lit me up. Like it was incredible. It was almost energizing, especially when we're thinking about imagination and fantasy and the fantastic as, you know, a virtue. She says she uses memory, but I would, I would supply, I would kind of, you know, substitute fantasy or imagination for the word that she uses for memory, mm. where I would say that fantasy, she says memory allows us to ponder the actual, but imagine the possible. Mm. Ponder the actual, but imagine the po- impossible. And the possible. Okay. So mm. she says memory allows us to ponder the actual, but imagine the possible. The possible. And so for me, I would say that imagination, uh, fantasy, the kind of, you know, work of, you know, what type of dreams and hopes for myself that I see in the future can become kind of relevant in the present. It's Toni Morrison quote that, you know, imagination and fantasy is a virtue because it allows me to ponder the actual. It keeps me rooted in the present. It keeps me, you know, humble. It keeps me honest about the present. But in some sense, it takes me you know, beyond the present and allowing me to imagine the possible. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, imagination and joy becomes interdependent on one another for how we see ourselves and how we imagine our world. So joy becomes, so if imagination is the personal private uh, work of, you know, the possible and the actual, then joy becomes the public discipline of mm. that oh, yeah. joy becomes how I, you know, you know, that, that personal imagination becomes, you know, in some sense, you know, a virtue because I look at my world and I say, I ask the question, where is there no love? Mm-hmm. Where is there no joy? And how can I partner with Jesus? If I'm using language of theology, yeah. mm-hmm. if I, how can I partner with Jesus in the spirit to bring mm-hmm. a more joyful, a more beautiful reality? And so mm-hmm. for me, I don't even think of it in some sense as a vice. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, you know, problems. I think Craig Rochelle said this problems, you know, aren't, you know, I, I think problems aren't something to be solved, but tensions to be managed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, joy or imagination as a virtue is not a problem t- or vice to be solved, uh, but a virtue to work out intention uh, mm-hmm. with the reality and the future. So, so tell me, I know that's kind of high language. No, that's very good. So let's tra- transfer this exact conversation into uh, what it was like for you guys during the pandemic. Annie, you were home alone mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Stu, mm-hmm. you're with your family. And you're mm-hmm. stuck in your house for two months or for six weeks, however long mm-hmm. it was where you live. How did that imagination gift play out? How did your foreness play out in good ways and bad ways when you were stuck at home? You know, <laughs> for the first few months of stay at home, it, it really felt like a gift for me. Um, really? In some ways, in some ways, because no one's life on social media looked cool. <laughs> Yeah, there's no FOMO. FOMO's eradicated. I think yep. that as a four, like envy is a really strong part of my inner world. And um, so I think that there was this, there was this reprieve, at least in like a social sense of not being jealous, not being, not looking, not feeling like I was missing out on anything. And that was a real gift. 
I'd probably say like 75% of the time was really fine. I live alone. I am introverted. I joked um, in the early days that like, this is my Super Bowl. I've been preparing my whole life for this. <laughs> it was a real relief to have like a lot of work travel canceled to just yeah. be able to be home and to like be nesting. And I'm really lucky in that I kept my job and um, I love my house. I um, have remained healthy, you know, so many things to be grateful for. But as time dragged on, and I would say even like continuing to right now this summer, um, like 25% of the time has felt really hard, just profoundly lonely, overwhelmed with anxiety at times at what kind of the implications of this pandemic will mean not only for me, but for, for the world at large. Like I get really overwhelmed by thinking about what this means for society, what it means for our relationships with each other, what it means globally. And I think I had too much mental space, you know, like when you strip away the ability to gather in person or um, get together with friends um, or just like be out in the world in sort of a stress-free way. I just had all this mental space, which is not good for me. Um, And yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, I really struggled against some real darkness and aloneness and kind of being stripped of like some of the distractions that had Mm. helped that are coping mechanisms. And I love that you said, Stu, that coping mechanisms, are, that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, right. that we all have the things that we lean into. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like for you, Stu? Yeah, it was, I, in some sense, it, it was weird, but manageable and hard at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, it's weird because like, I feel like the pandemic threw me off. It threw so much momentum off. Yeah. And when fours get momentum and structure, it is like the best thing ever mm-hmm. because we're naturally kind of prone to procrastination. Yeah. And in some sense, you know, not the type of procrastination where one, you know, uh, kind of thinks things out and you need that procrastination. You need that time to kind of, you know, whether you're reading or writing, you know, you need that time where you're just like sitting with it and it's kind of marinating but, you know, that type of procrastination where you're like, OK, it's a week now that I didn't get anything done. And so when before everything went down, I mean, I my structure was so like good, mm-hmm. like it was just I mean, every single day I'm up at four, four fifty. My first hour is a working out. My second hour is devotion every day at four fifty in the morning. You work out. Yeah. I, I mean, every single day. Like Still. it's. it's it's I get on my bike and, you know, or I go to the gym and I just get it in and just to mentally get going for mm-hmm. each day, just mm-hmm. to get up. Cause I knew like, you know, the season of life was going to get increasingly busy uh, or whatnot. And so when the pandemic happened, you know, I mean, it almost in some sense, it, it threw so much off, just like, it was almost like, you know, nothing really changed, but everything changed. Mm. Like the want to get up, the like just being home because I knew mentally I had to get out the house when the pandemic was not here. When COVID was not here, I was out the house. And so I only had a little bit of time to like, you know, get things done. And so for us, we work off, you know, a lot. We need help with intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. And so getting out the house and having that set time was like intrinsically motivating of getting up. And so when all this happened, you know, it was you know, tough. And I don't know about you, Annie, as a four, I'm very like, 
I mean, as a person generally, I'm very communal. Like I love being around people. Mm -hmm. I love like, you know, connection. I love just like, you know, we don't even got to be around each other, but I love just being around people. And that really, Mm -hmm. you know, the the pandemic really, I mean, you know, you're not gathering with people. I mean, people now are, you know, gathering with one another in very small groups and distance or whatnot. But I mean, people aren't the freedom that the knowing of freedom, like, you know, I can go hug you. uh, We can go worship together. You know, church is going to be lit today. I mean, that is all that. I don't know when that is ever going to be again. Um, Church as we know it is over. Like that's just for a long time. At least, yeah. Yeah. Uh, life as we know it is is kind of you know in a new normal, the next norm, as people would say. And so for me, man, it threw me off tremendously. Mm-hmm. But in element, it was good because, you know, and I, I don't want to be very careful to speak of good, you know, because for many people, I mean, so many people lost their jobs. I mean, millions mm-hmm. of Americans, you know, are out of work. Yeah, I mean, millions are struggling with death and loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people, you know, are what thousands are struggling with death and, and, and loss. And so it's just like, in some sense, it's like, it's hard to even think about good right now for myself mm, and yeah. even what good has come from this. Yes, I've written more. And yes, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I momentum in, in writing and vocation, yes. But like when a pandemic happened for me, for us, I mean, Amar Arbery happened. Right. George Floyd happened. Mm. Breonna Taylor happened. And, you know, and and it, and we were, and Black people in this country, you know, we were already struggling with coronavirus at an astronomical rate. Right. And you're dealing with your own personal struggles of trying to stay motivated, you know, every single day, trying to feel valuable. Mm-hmm. And then this stuff is happening yeah. that af- af- right after one another, right after one another. And every day it's like, you know, something is always, you know, happening. And so like, you know, for me, it was, you know, the pandemic kind of threw me off, but yes, it's been kind of good in a sense of, you know, I like my space to myself. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of a introvert, extrovert. And sometimes yeah, like, I was going like to ask you if you people. identify more as an introvert or an extrovert. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I'm both. I'm I'm a chameleon and yeah. I can be introverted and I need my space. I need my time to think. I need my time to release. But I also love being with people in the pandemic, you know. It's 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 been no lie, it's been depressing and hard mm-hmm. and tiring mentally and emotionally. And yet it's 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 hard to feel, you know, and if I'm being honest and vulnerable, you know, it's hard to feel, you know that yeah progress good progress is taking place and so no lie i'm struggling yeah. but you know wounded and walking right exhausted and energized <laughs> and so in some sense it's like a paradox right now i wonder Stu and annie you can speak into this too i just wonder if if when things like the pandemic hit and coronavirus hits when we've had such a and explosion of racial injustice in a way that we haven't acknowledged or seen very well. Stu and I were talking about last night, Annie, and he was like, okay, so what's the difference? What happened that, that made this become real to you all of a sudden? And it literally Uh felt like scales fell off my eyes with Uh Ahmaud Arbery. Uh But, 
but tell me as fours when when it feels like the world is falling apart in new ways <laughs> and in louder ways does it make you you know we know fours as being creators we know fours as being people who make things who are able to be creative and and inventive do do seasons like 2020 the years like 2020 make you want to retreat or make you want to advance? They make you want to create or they make you want to hide? What What's your feeling behind what's what's happened in the world? I would love to hear from from Stu on this. Stu, you, you've been, um, I've been following you on Twitter. Before, uh, today's our first time actually meeting, but your voice has been um, a really, really helpful one for me. I think that, um, you know, this world is as broken as they come. <laughs> like, that's no secret, but it, it feels extra right now. Um, and I think that all that's happening racially, which has been happening for, you know, hundreds of years, there's something about maybe it coming, this, this latest wave coming on the heels of coronavirus where everybody's reserves were low anyway. Yeah. Like, um, I think everybody has been feeling the stress of um, this world being not as it should be, maybe in in new and different ways. And so then to have, I think ultimately like the, the murder of George Floyd, like it has, it has wrecked me. It has wrecked me um, personally in like a new kind of way. And I think that for fours, like we are so driven by our feelings, like our, feel, our feelings are what drive us. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear from Stu, like what. And also Stu, Annie used to live in M- Minneapolis. Yes. I lived in Minneapolis before I lived in Nashville. And so watching all of that go down, I was um, following really closely and just heartbroken for that city that Mm -hmm. I love. And, but I also know that it's, it's not just Minneapolis, you know, it's everywhere. And so, yeah. What has that been like for you, Stu? Yeah. That's actually a great question. In some sense, I think this moment is a moment for force. This is a moment that force thrive in, you know, we may be, we may struggle with self-image, but we are hella cre- uh, courageous. Yes. So to be creative and courageous in this moment becomes important values. Uh, the cre- I can imagine that many people who are putting their bodies on the line are fours. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Many people who, in some sense, you know, that who who don't mind be kind of breaking up the peace are fours mm-hmm. uh, who don't mind courageously speaking truth to power, you know, in this moment, you know, we, we are creative and articulate and inspiring. So in this moment, in moments of crisis, so there was a really good book. And I think like this, sorry. So if I no, we like love it here to there, it's just chalk it up to me being a four and a, <laughs> uh, and a, and a preacher. Uh, so <laughs> <That's> a preacher. <laughs> there's a really good book, um, you know, uh, I think a Methodist theologian, uh, Howard Snyder, um, hmm. and he was talking about a theology of renewal. And at the beginning, you know, to, is I think it's chapter eight, to what a theology of renewal, he talked about the renewal process. And he talked about, you know, particularly he moved from social renewal to kind of personal renewal. And, you know, in his idea, renewal is you know, what is beyond a catalytic event? Mm. Uh, what in some sense, you know, is beyond the paradigm shift or 
you know, when there is a moment of crisis, what comes out of the crisis is that renewal moment. And he says, you know, that in, sen- in some sense in society, whenever there is a catalytic event or a paradigm shift or, or a moment of renewal, you know, one of the kind of people that step up is the inspiring leader. And so in this moment, force thrive in this moment because, you know, we understand what it means to stand out and stand up and stand apart and stand with and stand Mm. for and stand against. Mm. And so for us in this moment, you know, courage and solidarity becomes the public expression of our inward creative processes. And so in this moment, those who rise up in this moment, you know, those who speak out in this moment, not simply make statements, but actually, you know, you know, actually have legitimate action in this moment who want to imagine something better. The four thrives in this moment. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I in this moment, I felt a sense of calling to write and to speak in this moment, yeah. not simply because, you know, uh, uh, because I'm a four, but because my survival depends on it. Hmm. Like if I get murdered tomorrow, I want my son to have something that I left behind that would allow him to survive beyond hmm. that moment. Yeah. And so for me, it's not, I mean, you can throw four out the window. I mean, hmm. I got to survive. Uh, right. And this is in some sense, it is, you know, a constructive response to a kind of destructive reality. And so fours, whether they're introverts or extroverts, whether they're writers or protesters, whether they're politicians or pastors, whether they're artists or activists, fours, whatever way they can, they're going to find a way to speak in this moment for Hmm. something Mm. that is creative as a response to the ugliness of this moment. So there's this really good book. Uh, I'm always going to do it. Sorry. I like it. I just started reading. Call uh, Matthew Millen, Milner out of a, I think Matt, Matthew teaches at Wheaton, maybe. Um, he, he told me, he's like, Yo, Stu, you need to get this book. And so it's called Painting the Gospel, Painting the Gospel. Painting the um, gospel. And it looks, it looks at, it's a very, very interesting book. It looks at the intersection of faith, art, and social justice. Oh, Stu, that's your and dream so, right there. <laughs> oh, it is, it is an absolute dream book yeah Uh, and there's only one other book you know that i know is kind of like this book it's it's written by the uh south african theologian john de i think that's how you say his name he wrote a book called christianity activism and transformation i think something like that and this book on painting the gospel the writer looks at you know how art in chicago serves as black art in Chicago. So black public art and religion in Chicago, how it serves as a public protest to the ugliness to which people will throw on Chicago. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, everybody hears, you know, especially in these moments, you know, a response to black lives. What about Chicago? What about this? Mm -hmm. What about that? Chicago becomes, you know, conservatives, you know, best response, favorite right. response mm-hmm. uh, to 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 kind of the face of Black Death. Mm-hmm. But this writer, um, what is, I think her name is, uh, what is her name? Kimberly Pender or Ponder. Kimberly Pender, I think. And she writes on how art, in some sense, Black art becomes 
public theology. Mm-hmm. Where there is anti-blackness, black public art works for dignity. Where there is oppression, black public art becomes the place where black power becomes central as not only a theological commitment, but also a social and political commitment in a world that forgets. In a world of forgetfulness, it becomes good news because it becomes a way of remembrance. We know how powerful those murals of George Floyd and Mm -hmm. those murals of Breonna Taylor and those murals of Black Lives Matter, how much they serve as a reminder in a world that forgets. And in a Mm -hmm. world of segregation, you know, the creative, the Black public response uh, or whatnot stands in a world as solidarity that says, you know, even if you are forgotten and devalued and dehumanized and even murdered, we will not forget you. Mm. And so like Joseph, at the end of his story, you know, where he says, take my bones wherever you go at the end of, this, of Genesis 39, mm. Black lives matter, Black art, Black religion, Black resistance becomes a through line to Joseph's request mm. to keep my memory alive. Yeah. But my message and my movement. And so right now and in this moment, fours thrive in yeah. this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me want to like remind fours, like keep making your art. Don't stop mm-hmm. making your art. Yeah. Yes. We need you to make your art. Hey friends, just interrupting this episode with our fours to tell you about some of our partners today. Okay, so let me tell y'all a little bit about my routines. I usually drink a cup of tea in the morning. I usually empty the dishwasher right when I wake up when my tea is making. It's like a five minute window and I usually empty the dishwasher in that amount of time. Every day I wash my hair, which we can talk about that some other time because it makes people crazy. But there are a lot of good routines in the morning from reading my Bible to drinking my tea to getting ready that really help me get going during the day. And so our partners today are going to help you with your daily routines. Flamingo is a body brand that makes award-winning razors at half the price. And Flamingo was started by a group of women at Harry's, the men's shaving brand that you know, and they wanted to create a better experience for women too. So they crafted razors that are both beautiful and affordable and easy to use in your daily routine. I absolutely love my Flamingo razor. Y'all have heard me talk about it. I keep one in my travel bag and I keep one in my shower at home. I love the look and feel of the handle. I really love how the gel and lotion smell. It's awesome. And the shave is unmatched. I just really, really like it. So these are my favorite razors to have a part of my everyday life. Shaving feels better when it's not overpriced. Amen to that. So visit shopflamingo.com slash Annie to get your Flamingo shave set. It's just $16 with free shipping, and it includes Flamingo's award-winning razor, shave gel, and body lotion, plus, and this is a big plus, a slip-free shower hook. I love it. And with Flamingo's 30-day money-back guarantee, you can try it all risk-free. That's shopflamingo.com slash Annie. Speaking of rituals and routines for your day, y'all know I'm about taking those vitamins and we deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why. And that's why Rituals founder is on a mission to reinvent the vitamin industry. They left out all the mysterious additives, the synthetic feelers and the shady extras that can be found in some traditional multivitamins and just gave us all the good stuff. 
I absolutely love taking ritual. Y'all have heard me say it before, but I will tell you again, I absolutely love taking these vitamins. I think a multivitamin every day really helps set me up for a successful day. And y'all know I love that it smells like mint. Can't get over it. Won't get over it. I love that it smells like mint. And these vitamins have been great for women for a really long time. But it's also really exciting that now Ritual has vitamins for dudes. So you dudes out there, listen, Ritual isn't just for the gals anymore. It is for y'all as well. Ritual is making obsessively researched and clinically backed a new normal. For obsessive label readers, Ritual uses vegan-certified, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients and their sources. And they are out there for the whole world to see because they believe you deserve to know what you're putting in your body. Daily changes can lead to big results. So start small today. Ritual is offering my friends 10% off your first three months. Try it out satisfaction guaranteed go to ritual.com slash that sounds fun to start your ritual today that's 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash that sounds fun and now back to the show So eight of the nine people listening to this show are not fours probably more because <laughs> y'all are y'all are one of the smaller numbers of numbers <laughs> Tell me both of you like, one of the things we want really profoundly to come from this series is for us to love our friends better. And so what does it look like for both of you in your lives, being black, being white, being married, being single, being male and female, how can we love fours really well and not just chalk them up as snowflakes who are impossible to understand? I think that like something that I wish that more people knew about me in particular, um, is that like, just because I'm introverted and independent does not mean that I'm okay on my own. You know, Um, I think that sometimes people think like, oh, she's got it. She's she's got it all. Yeah. Yeah. But like knowing how much I, I need other people and how much like for me, isolation can be such the enemy that I have to actively fight against. That's one thing. I think another thing is when people tell me, something that makes me feel really loved by the people in my life is when they, when they tell me that they trust me. Really? Um, yeah. Like that they trust my compass and my intuition. Um, I think that as a, yeah, yeah, Stu's just as, nodding as like someone, crazy. <laughs> yeah. As, as someone who's like a feeler and really driven by my emotions about things, I can't always explain exactly logically why i leave the way that I do or the decisions that I make. But like, I don't know, sometimes I say, mm-hmm. <laughs> I often say this actually, that like, I'm not always right, but I usually am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, when the people in my life know me well enough to trust me and to say so, uh, that, that means a lot to me. It's like an, indica- an indication that they, they know me and they love me. So just trusting you. Yeah. Just trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Stu, what about you? What makes you feel loved and respected Um, by your friends? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think, you know, affirmation is critical. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even, you know, your your whole point, Annie, about, you know, that you trust my compass. Mm -hmm. That is so good. That is, oh my goodness. Like that is so powerful simply to have the words, you know, in some sense, not simply I see you, which is Mm -hmm. incredibly empowering and transformative, but I will follow you. Yes. That's incredibly liberating. 
Yes. Um, because in some sense, that allows us to trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes oh, wow. we work from a place of insecurity. And even if you know, hey, I may not be right, but I'm, I'm probably <laughs> right. <laughs> even in that, that probably is coming from the, from a place of fear, but not trust oftentimes, mm-hmm. of fear of being wrong. I want to make sure that I'm right. And I need to tell myself that you're probably right to make sure I, you know, when that moment comes that I'm possibly not right, I at least got a little bit of self-esteem to keep yeah. on going, even, yeah. if I'm not, <laughs> even if I'm not right. Uh, right. So, I, I, Annie, I have to agree that, you know, the, the trust, uh, that I trust where you are leading um, mm. is incredibly powerful and transformative. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that I need somebody to boost my head when I don't feel it. Because yeah. for us, we are creative, but we're prone to giving too much. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. We're prone, to, we're prone to saying yes too many times. Why? And oftentimes Do you feel that too, Annie? Yeah, I feel I feel that especially in in realms of communication, I feel like a like I'm prone to giving too much of my inner self, you know, like of mm, saying too, of of, wow. of being yeah. maybe too open sometimes, or you know, being too generous with um, maybe things that I should hold safe, um, huh. and and that can it can really it can wear you down. You feel that that's what you're saying, Stu. Yeah, yeah, that's 100. That's 100. Where, you know, you you give a part of yourself that in some sense, you don't know what other people are going to do with it. Yes. And wow. and that's one of the greatest fears is that we have, in some sense, given of ourselves so long and so often in our matriculation process. Mm-hmm. And we've been so hurt by that, yeah. that vulnerability is a vice for us oftentimes and not a yes. virtue. Yes. Not a vice that we give to that that comes from us, but it becomes a vice as an experience that we have too often felt where our mm-hmm. vulnerability has broken us mm-hmm. and people haven't honored yeah. our vulnerability. I'll give you an example where in a church that I shall not name, that I'm not a part of anymore, mm-hmm. um, I, I at least say, you know, I was a part of the black exodus of black people leaving white churches. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that hurt me so much about the white church space is I was vulnerable with white people, even when I knew they wasn't going to honor my vulnerability. Oh, wow. I told the truth and I got hurt by it. Mm-hmm. Because in some sense, fours, we don't necessarily like conflict and to speak truth when it's uneasy, like Samuel have to, had to do in First Samuel chapter three, we had to tell the uneasy word yeah. and it caught him. Mm-hmm. In some sense, we oftentimes that don't get honored. And, and that kind of vulnerability, you know, gets turned in our face of like, yo, like you're wrong. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I got told, you know, you're speaking too much about race. You're making too much about race. You're doing this. You're doing that. And I was vulnerable to say, man, you know, I'm going to tell the truth. And too oftentimes our vulnerability that we give other people, you know, they don't honor that. And that's beyond, you know, simply that situation. That's relational. Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, fours, there's a part of ourselves that we don't even give, you know, to those who are closest to us Mm -hmm. because we want to hold on to that 
because that is incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of us that wants to retain and should retain that value because we know that sometimes, you know, people aren't even ready or qualified or able to handle such vulnerability and honesty. So yeah. I have to agree, yeah. you know, with yeah. you know, that affirmation that I trust you is incredibly powerful and it helps us, you know, tremendously along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think y'all both know this, but I identify as a seven and seven and the way sevens and fours, like people say sevens and fours as kids are very hard to tell apart because mm-hmm. we have so many sevens have a ton of feelings inside of us as well. Mm-hmm. So as, as y'all have matured and grown up, how have you learned to not stop being vulnerable, but, but how to turn the spigot off when it's not received well, <laughs> like h- how is your maturity as a four helped you to, because, because an immature four says, or an unhealthy four says, well, then I can't be vulnerable with anybody. Forget all of you. But a mature four says, and a healthy four says, I can't be vulnerable with all of you, but I can be vulnerable with some of you. Mm -hmm. How do you learn that if there's a four listening, that's been really burned and has, you know, and it's just hurt anybody listening that's been hurt. How do you learn to be vulnerable sometimes and and how do you learn that line through mistakes yeah <laughs> you know i i think that i think that you learn by experience and it's painful you know it's a painful thing to be burned but i also think learning to to treasure like that inner nugget that you were talking about Stu of like there's this there's this inner core that i have learned is is worth my protection even with the people who are closest to me, you know, that mm. it's hard to get to the actual core of a four, mm. I think, because there, mm. there's so much, I think for a healthy four, there's so much respect and championing of the the true inner self that mm. you learn to say like, no, actually this is mine and it's good and it's for me and it's and it's for God and and no one else. I think that if you can protect that, that most inner, vulnerable, soft, true part, Mm. it actually sets you free with the rest of it um, Mm. to to be more vulnerable, but it's learning like, okay, where is that boundary? And I'm going to hold that boundary. Mm. Um, But then kind of ironically or paradoxically, that actually makes me more free with the rest of it because I know that I'm safe where it, Mm. where it really really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Does that ring true, Stu? Oh, that's so good. You preaching. Yeah. (laughs) I'm preaching, my God. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially when you're talking about maturity, I think one of the tests of maturity for fours as we're growing is, is, is in some sense being able to say, this is who I am and this is who I'm not. And mm. I'm okay with that. And that's enough. Wow. And so, you know, one of the challenges even right now, you know, I'm going to just be honest right now. Uh, okay, for fours, I'm going to be vulnerable. <laughs> I think one of the challenges, particularly when I think about my work, and, and, and writing and things like that. It's very easy, you know, in this moment to say, you know, how are those people getting called on? And I'm not Mm. like, that's real. It's just a real thing. You know, that's just, we, people may not want to say it, but like, it's a struggle of, you know, you may even have great opportunities. And because of that struggle with insecurity, you kind of overlook the good that's happening for the worst that you feel. And so like, even in, you know, I think even in these moments of like, you know, it's like, 
man, like, like, like celebrating other people is a test of maturity for fours. I mean, like really honestly celebrating that, you know, somebody else is crushing it and I'm going, I, I don't have to have the spotlight, but we're on the same team. And I have ruined so many relationships, sadly mm-hmm. so, because I never wanted to give up the spotlight. Yeah. I have ruined, like, it's it's horrible. Interesting. Like, horrible. I mean, I'm just going to be straight up. You know, I've, 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 so much, you know, just because it's like, man, I felt like, yeah, that spotlight got to be on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've learned, you know, old as I got older, is that, you know, there's a difference between a worthy rival and an unnecessary enemy. Oh, okay. okay. Very important. Very important. Yeah. Especially for me. Uh, I, yeah. I assume that so many people listening to this will be in ministry and or thinking about ministry or, you know, in some type of leadership capacity. Right. Uh, in some shape and form and fashion. And, you know, oftentimes in our society, because in some sense, we, so much of our society, you know, in, in, in the kind of political economy of, you know, capitalism, you know, it's like, you know, who can compete with the other person who can produce the best possible good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not here to give a kind of political theory on whether that's good or not, All right. but I'm just saying simply that situation right. in some sense doesn't allow you to receive the next person as a gift, but the next person becomes a person that take something from you that you believe you should have. Mm -hmm. And so in some sense, they now turn into an unnecessary enemy. College football is literally this. It's literally, literally, like literally, like your teammate, y'all might be cool outside of the field, but when when it's time to eat, when it's time to work, hey, you my dude, you my dog and all, hey, we might be playing 2K at the crib and Madden, but when it's time to get on the field, yeah, I gotta eat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know we never kind of grow out of that mentality of I gotta eat over <laughs> somebody else. Yeah, and yeah. I just think you know as we grow older, fours one of the tests of maturity will be that is saying you know hey when I have somebody that's like gifted you know as well and they may be gifted in the same kind of uh, space that I'm in, you know I see that person you know as a worthy rival. That they are somebody that I want to, that I aspire to be like. They are somebody, you know, that is like crushing it. That's like, you know, I can say, yo, they're doing that really good and say, you know, hey, I know I'm not that person, but I'm not against that person as well. And so I don't have to judge myself based on how well, you know, I'm performing in this moment, but how often and how faithful I am to my purpose. Yeah. So. Is there anything that we didn't say about fours that you want fours to know or you want our other friends who are not fours to know about fours? You're a deep well. I know. I know this is a hard question for y'all. Yeah. (laughs) Can I say something about faith? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I trust you, Annie. You can say whatever you want to say. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, Annie. (laughs) Like, I will say that um, in general, faith does not come easily for me. And I'm not saying that I'm not a believer or don't count myself as a Jesus follower because I am, and I am pinning all my hopes um, on him. But, but more often than not, it is a struggle for me to believe that God loves me, like, mm-hmm. like with more than just like a, like a whole world in his hands kind of love, but like 
that he loves me specifically and in particular, there is a distance that I feel most of the time, to be honest. But something that I'm learning about myself, I think in particular, particularly in relation to being a four, is that um, like just because I feel something does not make it true. Uh, and that's probably like the most obvious statement to, to so many people, no, no, but no. it's <laughs> new concepts for me. Um, <laughs> so like part of understanding my spiritual wiring as a four has been the realization that sometimes, like sometimes you just believe anyway, like, <laughs> like you believe wow. because you believe and I'm finding that when I take that step of belief, kind of regardless of my feelings in the moment, but when I take that step of belief, God is there to meet me in ways that often I can feel. So that's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately in relation to being a four is like, what, what does it mean to be so driven by feelings? And when sometimes the things that I believe and that I know that I believe don't line up with the way that I feel is wow. choosing to believe anyway. And then having like what that does it, it is it has put me in the position to experience a felt sense of God, but mm. it's taken a step Wow. on my, mm. on, on my part first. Mm. Wow. So, so I don't know if that will resonate with any fours out there, but that's wow. definitely been, where I've been lately. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. Stu, do you have thoughts around that or other thoughts? Yeah. Especially that, 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 you know, yeah, the language of faith and belief. Mm -hmm. For fours, I feel, you know, if I'm thinking about church Christianity as, and I'm broadening, I, I want to broaden that as well you know, to larger conversations of religion and society mm -hmm. or theology, et cetera. Fours, we work off, and even speaking the language of faith mm -hmm. or having a living faith, you know, it's like faith is not certainty, but the courage to be in again. Mm. That's what it is. That's literally, mm. it's not a theory but it becomes a practice. It's not a destination, but it becomes a discipline. Mm -hmm. So to speak the language of faith, to speak of a living faith, to speak of, you know, being a four does not look at a person, another person as, you know, a, a project to win, but a person to be loved because we understand mm -hmm. our own deficiencies of love. And so oftentimes, you know, to speak of faith, to speak of belief, to speak of Christianity, to speak of Jesus is also to speak of a dynamic process of building life together with my neighbor who is other. Mm. And so yeah. four is in this moment, speaking of being a Christian four, not simply, you know, being a black four or just a four in general, but speaking of being a Christian four in this moment is so important, especially in a sense of making faith and religion be a life-giving reality mm -hmm. in this moment of being fractured. Mm. Yeah. So faith from a standpoint of, you know, 
it's hard to feel, it's hard to believe, mm -hmm. and it's hard to, you know, we 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 don't need certainty for it to be real. Yeah. It is real. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a process of building with other broken people. And that yeah. is life. That is resurrection, small r. Yeah. Yeah. Where that which is dead comes to life and yeah. it begins anew. So uh, if I had to so put on my pastor, my pastor hat. Listen, both of y'all are pastoring us. Y'all are both yeah. pastoring us. That is so good. Oh, thank yeah, you guys. That, that sense of not being afraid of brokenness, you know, whether it's within ourselves or within others. It's when we come to, it's when we come to accept our own brokenness that we are able to reach out and affect change with other broken people in this world. That's so encouraging to me, Stu. So you, you've yeah. like given me so much to, to act on moving forward. Yes. This is so good. Yes. And it's so crazy because like, you know, I, I think we should be having conversations regarding, you know, what does it mean to be religious in the 21st century? What does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean mm -hmm. for me to enter into my world as a Christian? Yeah. And I think, you know, as a four, it's like, I'm not a person who has to create a Christian nation, but yeah. I'm a person who is a Christian seeking to live life together for a more loving and just democracy with other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I.e. trying to be like Jesus, yeah. building common life together. Okay. And so language of creativity does not become a philosophy. But it becomes a practice whereby we become healers in a wounded and broken world. Okay. So in society, in the church, in our community, we're always looking for creative solutions for building a revolutionary, a redemptive, a resourceful, and a renewed self and community. And that becomes a living faith that is like our Lord and Savior Jesus. We're going to pass the plates now. If, uh, <laughs> if Miss Betty will get up on the organ, we'll just get it. <laughs> good. I don't know. I need Hillsong after that one. I need Hillsong. Hillsong. Okay. That's a Hillsong. That is a, that is a, a Dolly cross Parton. point for you. I need the, uh, I need, I need the silent worship and to talk like you know, God is so good right now, and he's so worthy. Oh, my gosh. He's so awesome. You do white I mean, church too well. love right now? <laughs> Isn't God so good? Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending love. <laughs> I need reckless love right now. That's right. I don't need to be through. <laughs> okay, y'all, the last question we always ask, we got to do this. The last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun, you two lovely Enneagram Fours, tell me what you do for fun. I'll go first. Um, I I am a new beginner baby cyclist. <gasps> I saw I that on your Instagram. Yes, I bought a road really? bike. Uh, it's a Trek Lexa. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. I just bought it. Um, and I found all in, I'm like, I'm like the padded shorts. I'm the clip in shoes. I'm the bike rack. And I have been having so much fun getting out and riding. I think Nashville is a terrifying city to ride a bike in, but, yeah. um, mm -hmm. what sounds fun to me is like going out for like, like a 30 mile bike ride, um, somewhere much cooler in temperature than here and just more pleasant than riding on the Nashville streets. And then 
and then like coming home and eating like like an almond croissant. Oh, that sounds so good. Jesus, good answer. Okay, Stu, what about you? What do you do for fun? Oh my goodness, I do the same thing. Yeah. Like for real, for real. So I uh, I uh, do relays on triathlon, and so. I haven't got my swimming down. So I've been doing like the biking and the running. And yeah. so I uh, do half marathon, uh, five and 10 Ks. And so stuff like that. I love my bike. I love getting, there's no better feeling than, well, there are many more better feelings, but it's a dope feeling yeah. to be out and cruising. So yeah. I have a tri bike, which is more like racing oriented. And so it's nothing like being locked in on my, on my tri bike. And I mean, going like, 20, 23, 24, 25 miles an hour down the road and just cruising. Yeah. yeah. Um, the cool thing about clipping in that I didn't realize is, you know, when you're just riding a bike, not clipped in, it's like you're, you're like powering the machine. But when you're yes. clipped in, like you are the machine. Yes, it's, you are. And you feel it. Yes, you, feel you feel it. it. Every, road, every revolution, you feel it. Yes. You that that pull, that pull, yes. and uh, oh man, it's, down. oh it and is, I, it is love. I have to admit, I did tip over one of my first times and just like a full tip over while oh. clipped in. Yeah, everybody got a fall. Yeah, yeah, but it felt like a ride of passage. You think you haven't wrecked yet? I wrecked. I wrecked. Oh, the last triathlon I did year before last because I was in California, so I couldn't do it last year. I was coming. I was doing an Ironman, the half Ironman, and I got to Mount. So I had fifty-six miles to ride. I was at Mount Five. Uh-huh. And they changed up the course and I hit the railroad track oh. going. I didn't. So we was going around a curve yeah. and I hit the, I didn't like, and you know, when we locked in, you kind of, kind of going, you're not really, you know, right. you're, you're kind of locked in. And I hit the railroad track and oh man, it threw me off my, my bike. Really? And that was the first time I wrecked. Yeah. I got up and I finished. Which you was, finished? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got up and I read, I ran, I, I, I rode the rest of the 51 miles. Uh, it was Super depressing. How does it throw it you off fun. when you're clicked in? Did you throw out? Did you get wrecked that hard? It was that much force. Yeah, yeah. I just got thrown Still. off. And then the person behind me literally hit me. Oh, so oh we, no. we, yeah. It, and so many people wrecked that day because we changed. Yeah, it was just a new course. It was yeah. horrible. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to tip over and you're going to fall. It's yeah. crazy, but. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. That's yeah. yeah, that's what I do you, for fun. I, you and I should go on a bike ride sometime together and then eat an almond croissant. So like, let's just let's go. There you go. go. Get some black coffee, you know. Perfect. You know, grab some, you know, grab some pour over Ethiopian from somewhere in Nashville. Don't y'all got like, crema or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to get, yeah. I'm dying, Annie, to get Stu and his family up here. I just want to hug oh his little boy so much and his wife. But... Friends, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come to Nashville because one of my good friends, John Fazen, lives up there. Yes. He's a pastor up there, John. Uh, and my one of my teammates, he used to they used to live up there. They're in yeah. Charlotte now because he used to play for the Titans, Cody and mm. Dom. They used to live up there. So I, I've been to Nashville. Nashville's beautiful and I okay. want to come back. Okay. Um we're gonna get you I'm, up here we, this we year. Need to come back. We need to come back. Right. Um thank you guys for doing this today. I really, really appreciate both of you. Oh, thanks for having us. Oh, friends, don't you love Stu and Annie? I know, my gosh, they're just so smart and deep and thoughtful, man. These two friends keep me keep me centered and balanced and thoughtful, and I'm really grateful. 
As we're sharing all Enneagram things, I wanted to remind you about our Ennea Summer 2020 sponsor. If you're curious about your number, I encourage you to check out your Enneagram coach and take the assessment there. They have courses and tools as well to learn more about the Enneagram and building relationships with other numbers. You can take the assessment by going to your Enneagram coach.com slash that sounds fun or by clicking through the link in our show notes. As you may know, we have been saving a question or two for an exclusive YouTube clip after each interview. So for this series, as you know, I'm having our Indian Summer 2020 guests talk about the upcoming election. I think you're going to love the deep thoughtfulness from the Enneagram 4. So head to youtube.com slash Annie F Downs TSF, like that sounds fun, or just click the link in the show notes below. And hey, if you identify as an Enneagram 4, God love you. You're just the best. Just share this episode with your people so we can get to know you better and love you and understand you really well. If y'all need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at the office, at my house, on the porch, all the places you may need me, y'all. That is how you can find me. Don't forget we have those special Annie Summer koozies over at shopanniefdowns.com. It's a really special week. Not only do we get the fours today and the Enneagram fives on Thursday, tomorrow John Tyson is back. One of my favorite preachers, one of my favorite voices in my life. He made me cry twice in this episode, you guys. I think you're going to love it. That's tomorrow. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out. And as always, if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would mean a lot. I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. And we will see you back here tomorrow with John Tyson. Y'all have a great day. Mm